Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to part two of Stalking Time for the Moon Boys. Um, I have a small well, trouble is because when we're in the shed, I, we can show things and I, I, you know, but it's very much sort of Bowie origin story type thing. Like Stardust. Like Stardust, but better because there's a Bee Gees documentary, isn't there, on Amazon or something. Which, there is, I haven't seen it. Yeah, well, so it's pretty good and it's got, you know, reminds you that they wrote some... I don't know. It reminds you that they wrote some really good songs. It also a bit to me, and this is sorry, this is not what I want to say, but a bit like the Beach Boys. I think it's possible to write amazing songs and sing them in a slightly annoying way. And I can't listen to too much Beach Boys because in the end, I find listening to high voices is just sort of slightly great. So I I find that about. I I really got into Beach Boys briefly, but I think you're right. I think that there's an element of the Beach Boys where you just think, wait a minute, it's a sort of blink and you you see what it feels like. Or like, you know, William Burroughs said, the naked lunch. Right. You call that because you realise suddenly sometimes what it is on the end of your fork. It's a piece of dead flesh. That's a sort of bad epiphany. 
And I, I sometimes think with the Beach Boys, you're listening, you think, oh, yeah, this is nice. And then you think, wait a minute, I'm listening to a barbershop quartet. Yes. And that's got a bad moment. I think Pet Sounds, which is obviously always at the top of every chart about great albums made by white people ever. When I listen to it, it is kind of amazing. It's extraordinary and incredibly nuanced and layered and, you know, whatever. But then it also is, woo, yeah. and they're like, yeah. fuck it. It's really annoying uh, yeah. to listen to. Yes, I, 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 actually, I'm less worried about that, some of the sort of mad symphonics that Brian Wilson like, than, than I am, as you say, the way they sing. Sometimes I just think, no, but that I'm hearing a bit of the swingle singers here. Yeah. And that, that well, I always find that a bit problematic. Uh, and anyway, who, was the, who was the other one we were talking about before? Well, the, Bee that, 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 the Bee Gees is, is, is arguably... Yeah, although the Bee Gees, I slightly disagree with that, because although when I was 17 and hated disco like an idiot. I thought they were rubbish. I now do think that in their golden period, they wrote some incredible songs. How Deep Is Your Love is like just an incredible song. And yeah. I think it is, it really suits that falsetto stuff. It really so suits it. Even before watching the Bee Gees talk, I would think How Deep Is Your Love is one of the most beautiful, brilliant, yeah, it's a absolutely, and I, and I could listen to that like now mm. and would love hearing it. It's incredible. But I don't think I would listen to a whole album very easily of Bee Gees things. And I think that is because I find the singing a bit annoying. And that Are you aware of meaningless songs in very high voices by the Hebe Jeep? So friends of mine and people that you know, Angus Deaton yeah, yeah. and uh, Michael Fenton Stevens and Philip Pope formed a band called the Hebe Jeebies who were like the Baron Knights. The Baron Knights, for anyone listening, still with us. Uh, were a sort of band that used to do impressions of other bands in the 1970s and had a lot of hits doing yeah. that. But they used to do quite a lot of other bands. The Heebie-Jeebies just did the Bee Gees. And they did a song called Meaningless Songs in Very High Voices. I might play a bit of it. Okay, so here we go. Meaningless Songs in Very High Voices. It's very good. So I'll have to do Yeah, so that's them, and it was a comedy. And I think they were, like, number one in Australia with that comedy parody of the Bee Gees. And I sort of bring this up purely because yeah. I think it's a weird idea that, like, that which was a piss take of the Bee Gees, I think was probably being bought by some people who just liked the Bee Gees and thought, that sounds really like the band I like. Yes. I mean, it slightly takes you into another... I mean, this, this does make me sound sort of old and everything, but... That whole thing of novel of not not even I wouldn't say the comedy of Baron Knights and heebie-jeebies and that's definitely gone away, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Yeah, it has, hasn't it? I mean, well, actual someone... bands doing it has gone away. If you googled Ed Sheeran impression, right? Okay, get loads of people doing comedy impressions of Ed Sheeran. Okay, yeah. but if but... we're to use the Baron Knights example and try and explore why it doesn't have. You'd have a band, or I suppose an individual, who does Adele impressions or, or Ed Sheeran and writes a song called... What, you mean like a comedy song? Well, it would be, yeah, it'd be a comedy song that pastiched Ed Sheeran and made some jokes sort of about Ed Sheeran. Yeah. And Perhaps and it's called the B-Team. And would be on Radio 1. Yeah, it would be on Radio 1. Uh, they, they did a song, the Baron Knights, called Call Up the Groups. 
which was a medley, let them call up the other groups. We think it's a great idea. What, what is that? That's the lyrics to call up the groups, a medley by the Baron Knights, which I think parodied the Rolling Stones, the Searchers, the Dave okay. Clark Five in one song. Frank Skinner used to be obsessed with this, and he used to often sing. It goes, let's just call up the other groups. We think it's a great idea. And he would sing that endlessly when we used to live together and just say, no, it isn't, afterwards. <laughs> um, here it is. Listen to this. Let them call up the other groups. We think it's a great idea. Send the searches to Algiers for about a hundred years. Let us wish them luck in their new career. We send them away to earn their pay. What a place it was, and they knew they had to go away. And get Next in line, we were dreaming maybe the Rolling Stones would be fit for the Navy. We don't want to join the Right, so something I didn't realise about Call Up the Other Groups, let's just call wow. up the other groups, we think it's a great idea, is by call up, they mean join the army and the navy. Oh. I mean, it's even more late 60s, early That's 70s, amazing. an idea than I realised. Yeah, because I couldn't work out what call up meant. Okay, wow. And that's what it means, because it's about sending the searchers to Algiers... Right. And then Freddie and the Dreamers, I can't remember where they went, but it was also something involved the word corporal. And then, yeah, then we're not going to join the Royal Navy as the Rolling Stones because we want to wear our hair long. So, so they're, yeah. they're all draft dodgers. They're all draft dodgers, and there's an element of national service but to it, which I think is weird because, I know, this was in 1964. So was national, when was national service abolished? Well, like, I don't know, it feels like end of the 50s or? yeah. I think I think because people are really laughing because it's clearly a live version of it. Yeah, I think it must have felt very like how hilarious that these crazy beat combos might be in the army yeah. and the navy. Yeah, yeah. For some reason it's died out as an art form. Call <laughs> <laughs> up yeah. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> That's like... Ed Sheeran and send him to Afghanistan. <laughs> it's not going to work, is it? And then, and then you go to a version of the A-team that's about the Afghanistan team. Taylor Swift goes to... Uh, uh, maybe that's the problem. No, we're right. If it was topical, it would be about COVID now. And it would be about all of them dealing with COVID in their different ways. And each, each bit of the medley would go into a different part of the song. What they might try now, and it would go really badly, is they might do something to promote mask wearing. Yeah. And that's how they do it. Well, almost definitely now, a number of things would go wrong. Like, number one, I'm not sure how they got the rights to use the melodies, of all because those are the actual melodies of those songs. Oh, not only that, but the Rolling Stones one is, of course, a Lennon McCartney song. That's <laughs> I Want to Be Your Love. So they're, they're ripping Yeah, but they did, they did write it for the Rolling Stones. But yes, they'd have to get the rights from Lennon and McCartney for that. But then also, almost definitely as well, they would fall foul of Twitter in some way. Yes. Like either of the fans of those people who would yeah. be furious 
or because they, you know, the idea of sending Ed Sheeran to Afghanistan would be offensive to soldiers also, and people from Afghanistan. Also, you'd probably get like at Freddie and the Dreamers saying, we actually did national service, we support Britain abroad. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. But sorry, the point a long time ago of the, the annoying high singing, which somehow led to this, is that... It led to it by the heebie-jeebies who were like the Baron Knight. Yeah, that's right. So after watching that Bee Gees documentary, in a way that I sometimes do, which is to think, I wonder how they're connected, if at all, to Bowie. Like, like there are some obvious people, but sometimes people like Paul McCartney, you can't, you think, I wonder, they never seem to be connected to Bowie. And then you find there's, you know, there's something. But so I was trying to work out what, and it turns out there is a sort of connection to Bowie, which I was quite interested in, which I didn't really appreciate or know, unless maybe you did. When Bowie wrote Space Oddity, yeah, basically wrote that to be a Bee Gees song, as in, in his mind, to be a Bee Gees song. Did he? And when you listen to it, and there's a version on YouTube, that very early version of it, before the sort of pop single version, it's exactly, you sort of think, of course it is. Because at that time, the Bee Gees were doing things like New York mining disaster, I think, and stuff. They were almost a bit Dylan-ish, and they were a bit folky. Yeah. And a bit sort of narrative songs. And Massachusetts, right. I, don't, I, I probably got the dates wrong, but that sort of thing. And when you listen to Space Oddity, you think, yes, he's singing it in a very Bee Gees way, not the high voice, because that came later. Yeah, they hadn't come to that yet. Yeah, yeah, they hadn't come to it. So they're sort of almost singing that slightly flat, almost Liverpudlian, you know, that slightly sort of, I'll tell you a story. And right. it is really, and of course right. you listen to it, you think, of I course. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. I yeah. didn't know that. Does he say that somewhere? Yeah, yeah, no, he talks about it. He's really open about it. Well, I don't think um, you need to be ashamed of it. You said well, that as if as if you expected he might be ashamed of it. But I think well, I think it's okay to say he was influenced by the Bee Gees in 1969. Yeah. And I, again, it took me back to that thing, which a lot of the great artists, by which I mean Paul McCartney and David Bowie, to be honest, because those are the two examples I know about, where they often say, I wrote that song because I'd heard the Ronettes do yeah. Be My Baby or something, and I wanted yeah. to do that. And you think, God, it's amazing. Something so original came from the desire to be like something else. And Space Oddity does seem to almost occupy a world all of its own. But you listen to it and think, of course, he's doing a Bee Gees song, but he's... So he's- just to interrupt, from a comedy point of view, this is a very old hat thing. Like people often say when they're at the foothills of comedy, how did that happen? But I'm going to say it, right. which is, it's a sort of genuine question, really, which is, it's true, the Bee Gees, for, for a long time, for albums were just singing normally. What was the moment that someone said, right. hey... Why don't you sing an octave higher yes. than you have ever sung before? I know it'll sound stupid, and yeah. I know it'll sound like you've just sucked in from a helium balloon, but trust me, it'll be fine. Yeah. And they were right, that person. Or did, is that not how it happened? How did that's they... Really, that's a good question. It, do, it certainly doesn't cover it in the documentary because it's obviously a bit more respectful. Not respectful, but but you're right. You hope that it's one of those things which is Morris did a track and then they played it back at double speed and we thought, right. hang on a minute, that's what you want, one of those. What accent was that? Um, Morris's accent. Right. Aren't they from the Isle of Man? I think they're from, weren't they from Liverpool? The Isle of Man. Uh, I'm going to check the Bee Gees. How did they come to sing like that? Yeah. Uh, how the Bee Gees trademark falsetto sound came to be. There is a whole article about it. Right. And it came, you're right, accident. It's an accident. Hang on. Did you watch the documentary How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? That's the one, yeah. Well, it says that it, it, it shows there? it. Oh, okay. Yeah. They began experimenting with new sounds in 1975 
While recording Nights on Broadway, producer Arif Mardin asked that someone harmonise while screaming in the background. And then Barry Gibb sang falsetto. And Barry thought, my God, where's this coming from? I can do this. My whole life, I never knew I could do it. And then they just, yeah, that was it. Wow. They decided that was the way to sing. I mean, yeah. it's amazing, actually. It's amazing still, though, that no one said, okay, that was great, Barry, that sort of screaming in the background yeah. for that particular track. Don't, for God's sake, suggest that we should do that just as our sound from now on. No. That would be ridiculous. That's the thing. Yeah. I was just thinking now, imagine the entire Beatles catalogue or Bowie, but let's take Beatles, it's more of exactly the same. All the units were the same, but they sang it all in falsetto. I know, it would be, it would be ridiculous. It'd be terrible. And they wouldn't be the band. No, that they everyone are, would right? think, yeah, no one would take them seriously. Let I mean, me, let but, me. Then, but then again, at the time, the Bee Gees weren't, when they were doing that anyway, I think they were taken seriously when they were doing Massachusetts and New York Minor Disaster. They were sort of like, as you say, kind of a folk band. But at the time when they were having massive hits, when it was Staying Alive and when it was How Deep yeah. You Love and all their great songs, I, well, I certainly, as a sort of young gunslinger who read the NME, didn't take them at all seriously, just thought they were silly. No. I now think that those songs are brilliant. They but are brilliant. I, but they would definitely be better sung in a lower register. No, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think I think the Bee Gees version of How Deep Is Your Love is definitely the best version of it I've, you'll ever hear. Like, I like take that, do a cover of it, and it's yeah. not as good. It's not, and they sing it well. Okay, it's not as good. No, no forget that they take that. It's it's just not as good because he's not singing it in a silly way. Yeah, but also. I would say How Deep Is Your Love is not sung in a silly way. It's a bit more... Sen- it's, I don't think oh, it's... Yeah, it is. Hang on. Let's, no, cause, cause I'm going to put it on now, and we're going to make a decision as to whether it's sung in a silly way. <laughs> okay. Okay, that is a really good question. I think that is right on the edge, yeah. philosophically, is, is that being sung in the Bee Gees falsetto style or not? I don't think it is. It's not like Tragedy. No. It's not like Staying Alive. Those are falsetto. But if you went back to Massachusetts, can't believe we've gone into this detail about the Bee Gees, and those kind of songs, they wouldn't have the, uh, uh, so it's like falsetto thing they- that you're doing there. Well, I would say as an opening, as a gambit, that song, How Deep Is Love, has much more in common with the Massachusetts that, that, than it does with tragedy. I think it's more... It's okay, more. You say that, but I've just remembered something about it. Okay, keep right. going. Hang on. Oh, it's got a high bit. That's pretty yeah. high. No, that's high, but lots of songs have high bits. <laughs> It's center of gravity is in that I, I admit slightly breathy, but it's not a falsetto. I don't think. I think it's a slightly. I think it's much more like a Massachusetts than it is tragedy, which is just all very. Okay, but, okay all right. It's a. You know what? It's a great song. It's a slightly bad example because your argument is those songs that use the falsetto would be better without falsetto. Case in point, where that's wrong, staying alive, right? I mean, staying alive. That's why it's a good song. It's the sort of absurd right. beat of it with that high voice, isn't it? Let's let's just listen to it. Well, you can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. No time to 
I mean, what is really funny about that, even though I think it totally sounds brilliant, is you can't see it, but the video has got Morris, Barry, and... Yeah. What's the other one called? Uh, Robbie. Robbie. Robin. Robin. Walking down a hard sort of industrial New York street, <laughs> or like in a line, yeah. really kind of with hard sort of like, you know, weird tough guys' faces. Yeah. And the song, you know, is about... You know, I've been kicked around since I was born, women warm, and but it's really a macho song. Yeah. And they're singing it in the most effeminate way possible. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a, it's an amazing rhythm section, a bit, and and it, it's a great sound. I just don't, it grates after a while. And I think the other thing about the Bee Gees, which this documentary bears out, although it doesn't mention Kenny Everett, is they slightly had their bow selector Craig David moment, which is. Kenny Everett and others of the time would sort of pastiche them in a really full-on oh, way. And the heebie-jeebies. Right, yeah, and the heebie And it sort of slightly made them silly and it became a slightly enduring way of thinking about them, partly because of what you say, which is they're all tough and medallions, but in these sort of high voices. No, they're obviously it. silly. I mean, they are silly, but, you know, this is a, not a particularly original discussion, but, I mean, ABBA was silly... And I thought they were silly at the time, but now I just think those are extraordinary songs melodically. Yeah. I, I, I literally, I mean, I think Dancing Queen is literally one of the greatest songs ever written. Yes. And I mean, only David Bowie, I would say. Yeah, probably only David Bowie, somehow or other in the 1970s, whilst writing great songs. Because I do think the Bee Gees were writing great songs and Abba were writing great songs, but they were silly and they seem visually silly now and whatever you just hear the music and you think no this actually is a brilliant song if you yeah, see yeah. through the silliness somewhere other bowie bowie isn't silly uh, no, and i don't know how he manages that somehow everyone else is to some extent yes it's a very good point and i think that's partly the sort of the artist bowie that sort of people acknowledge that he was there's a sort of seriousness about yeah even because his, his vulnerable period would indeed be you know 1972 you know, when he's dressed up in what people... But he's not silly then. I don't think he's no, silly. No. But I'm saying that's that's probably when people might think, oh, well, look at him, is he a boy or a girl? And all that hmm. stuff that people would have said about that. And made him a bit Mark Bolan and a bit the mud and sweet. And ultimately, the songs are so extraordinary, right? That's ultimately what it is, I think. But I, well, is it, though? No, I don't, I don't completely agree with that. I think there is something else. I mean, the songs are extraordinary. We know that. But I do genuinely think... Great ABBA songs, great BG songs. There's, there's not as many of them, but they are brilliant songs. But they are very silly. You know, just that video now, Staying Alive, it's hilarious. It's completely ridiculous. Yeah. You want, you're listening to it and there's a cognitive yeah. dissonance, which is you think, I think, what a brilliant song, what a brilliant riff, but how stupid they look, right? Well, and I think that with ABBA, and I think that when I watched the video for Knowing Me, Knowing You, which is, again, why French and Saunders could parody it, because it's hilarious, Taking yeah. itself much too seriously, video. But knowing me, knowing you is a brilliant song. Bowie, you watch, you watch any, virtually anything. I mean, I mean, there are elements of Bowie later on in the eighties, which get pretty ridiculous. But in the seventies, when he's more theatrical and broader in in his look and his attitude and everything, I never want makes me laugh. Like, I, I just, I never watch Starman no. or, or, you know, any yeah, of anything what? from that. But period. you are, but you are right, and we've trodden this ground many times that there is a period, quite a long period, when Bowie is silly and... Oh, yeah. Most notably in the video with Mick Jagger for Dancing in the Streets. Well, oh, by the I way, suppose, yeah, I but can't I recommend think... enough, by the way. I don't think it's worth 
really playing on this. I know exactly what you're going to oh, say. You mean the, the video where it's just them making noises? It's the funniest. It's so it's funny. Funniest. Yeah. Whoever, I don't, they, it's actually, my son showed it to me and yeah. it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, I didn't know. Funny. It's a genre where people take out the music and just have people making noises and grunting and grunting and jumping and, you know, yeah. It's, it's so funny. And it reveals, of course, how ridiculous that video is. It's just, you know, yeah. The minute that you haven't got the music, you think these two silly men doing silly, yeah. m- silly moves. But yeah, that's ridiculous. That is laughable. Him in that Mac and Mick Jagger jumping about in a sort but of in a way. Mess. More tragically for David, which he rescued in the end, is that when he's sort of being serious and doing stuff with that goatee and yeah. that weird long coat that looks like it's bought from M&S, yeah. with Jack on the back or whatever, that's when it, it's sort of awful to admit, but that's when it's most ridiculous and laughable and it's horrible. I don't know if I completely agree with that. I, I, I find those bits just a bit tragic. I don't, I mean, I was literally wanting to laugh out loud as I was watching Staying Alive in a way that I feel quite good about. I feel like this yeah. is sort of hilarious and it makes me feel quite joyful in its hilarity. And yeah. I think the same thing about ABBA. When I look at Benny and Bjorn's faces, I think it's sort of hilarious that they're pop stars, like the biggest pop stars in the yeah. world at one point. Um, but Bowie in his, yeah, trying too hard, 90s serious period is is just a bit, it creates a kind of empty feeling in me. There's also a truth, but I don't know if it covers ABBA. It definitely covers Bee Gees to an extent, that you don't get with Bowie in that golden period which is it doesn't date, or at least it doesn't seem yeah, to be. Well, it doesn't date. I know. That's the same thing. It's extraordinary. It doesn't date. But that's what, you know, yes, the reason that ABBA or indeed Slade, like Slade. Yeah. Again, I would say Slade's greatest songs are really brilliant songs. Yeah. Fabulous songs. Oh, but obviously you look at them, performing them, and they are totally ridiculous. Yeah, and so you're sort of... And they're not like- that far. That's the really interesting thing. They're not that yeah. far from how David Bowie looks. Yeah, but yeah. he's not ridiculous. I'm talking about the same time period. Yeah. No, and I think you laugh at the Bee Gees and, and Slade and to some extent T-Rex, although I'm... Yes, thinking... I know. Well, no, Mark Bowen's on the edge. Yeah. There's an affection. There's a sort of, that used to be what people did. There's something quite nice about that, isn't it? And the Bee Gees are an extreme example, that open shirts looking, yeah, and sort of the medallions and all of that. And it's just, it seems silly to us now. Whereas you don't ever look at Bowie, even in the most 70s he ever looks you know, with the big boots, you know, it still looks like, some, well, it is something you look at at the V&A Museum. It's like, yes. wow, it's timeless. And that's it is something you look at the V&A Museum. I wonder if that's part, I mean, it's part because he just did have a, you know, he had a very acute sense of style. And even though the 70s was a ridiculous period for fashion, yeah. not absolutely everything was ridiculous in it. And he managed to fish out some of the stuff that wasn't, I think. Yeah. But it also partly to do with the way he carries himself. Like if you look at the Bee Gees on this yeah. video, and uh, listeners, I can I really advise you to go and see the official video of Staying Alive. Part of what's ridiculous about them is, I don't know, they're taking themselves very seriously and they can't, in their medallions and their seriousness, walk down the street in a way that seems anything but totally laughable looked at from now. Whereas Bowie had an irony or something, a seriousness and an irony about him. him always. I also think what he got so right, and we've talked about this period, the whole sort of he cleaned up and went to Berlin in 77. We all know he didn't clean up anything because they were still taking drugs and all the rest of it. What he got a very quick sense of or a very strong sense of is that 
there was the BG sort of sprouting hair and chest through the late 70s. Everyone looked a bit sort of started to look ridiculous. He got onto this notion of the slight European yeah. sort of new wave, the sort of bring it all in a bit. So his yeah. hair looks incredible in 1978. So, but it doesn't look like 70s hair. Mm-hmm. It looks like what? Like 1980. I mean, it's so... It looks late 70s. I mean, he, he, it, for, you know, post-punk and... I mean, yeah, he, but it looks, it's closer to Joy Division or, you know, yeah. there's the sort of craft works, that, all that stuff that we know about. And he had a sense of that. As you say, that's part of his sense of style. There's never a bad look in that period, as you say, in a look so famous for bad looks. He never yeah. has. Yeah, and also so close to bad looks. It's, yeah. you, you could, you know, particularly earlier on, when he's trying to look like Ziggy or when he's trying to look like Aladdin Say, the opportunity for that to go wrong yeah, so great, you know, because so many people must have been coming to him and saying, "What about wearing this, David?" You know, Noddy Holder wore something like it a few weeks ago on top of the yes. box. Why don't you wear this? And somehow yeah. or other, he manages to get it right. Which look of Bowie's do you think you would look the most bad in? Uh, I'd look very bad in the sort of late sixties hippie sort of like <laughs> soft curls. Yeah, that would look, be a look. Which actually, I think that's on the edge of looking fairly ridiculous as well. Yeah. In Bowie, I mean, yeah, I think that's before he's quite found who he is, yeah. Uh, but you know, the big Yakamoto, the Japanese designer, yeah, the oh, Japanese yeah. designer with the very big line yeah. trousers with that curve. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could have carried those off. No, you definitely couldn't either. Well, I don't think I could, but I think if I was to really face my fears, I think I'd choose between either the again the Jap- the Ziggy outfit with the shorts and the rings on the arms and stuff would be quite you know that he's got a Hammersmith. But it's a good point. Uh, you know, we're talking about his sense of style and he got this right and he got that right. But it's it's inseparable from who he is. Yeah. So anyone less confident at that point in time of what they were doing who decided to go for you know the gold ring on their yeah. forehead and the, the Ziggy thing and the long boots and whatever anyone anyone who got that wore exactly the same clothes, but just couldn't yeah. carry it off in the same way, would look well, stupid. Like the rest of his band. Like everyone else in the band, yeah. Actually, <laughs> like I, think Mick Ronson, I think Mick Ronson looks all right. I think he looks all right, but he does look a bit like that famous thing about sort of builders wearing eyeshadow and all that. That's a very good point about the rest of the band, because they do look ridiculous. They look terrible. So, so then the question is, did Bowie never say to Trevor Boulder, what the fuck are you thinking about with those sideburns? Well, I I suppose you could argue that I suppose Bowie was just thinking about himself, and I don't suppose he he looked around. That's not what happens in Stardust. That's true. Which obviously is the Bible for these things. In Stardust, the only bit the spiders get is David saying, "I want you to wear this," and them saying, "What are you talking about?" That's that's my Hull accent. Uh, We'll look like bloody Nancy boys in that gear. All that obvious stuff. But the suggestion is that David and Angie created their style together. Yeah, but I think. Let's say there's a very big gap between, and maybe the biggest of all in a group between Bowie and the rest of his band in terms of look and everything we've been talking about. I always think there is another band, it's not quite about looks, where there's a huge, maybe bigger discrepancy between the lead singer and the rest of the band. And I always think about the fact that you would never, I don't know, maybe you would, you would never bump into a member of the band Texas that you recognised or noted. We've discussed this. Have we? Without... And Charlene, you would know, and that seems We're to me... This. But I, can I just spin it a slightly different way? Right. Which is that most bands... By the way, I read a whole thing recently saying bands don't really exist anymore, which is true, and it had this one brilliant point in it. Mm. It's by Dorian Linsky in The Guardian, which said one of the reasons that bands don't exist anymore is everyone watches stuff and even makes stuff on their iPhones, and it's a portrait 
format. So it's designed for a single artist. It's okay, not designed yeah. for bands. It's a brilliant idea. Yeah. But given the sort of bands that we like, there's not many bands. The Beatles obviously don't have a straightforward front man, so it's quite hard yeah. to discuss with the Beatles. But there's not many bands where the front man isn't miles ahead in terms of being yes. cool. Like, like the Doors are a good example, right? Or Jimmy Hendrix, Jimmy Hendrix Experience, The Doors. There's an incredibly beautiful man at the front of that, and he's also really cool. And the rest of the band are miles behind. In the Rolling Stones, arguably, Keith Richards is just as cool, if not cooler, yeah. than Mick Jagger. But that's unusual. Normally, but, it's a front man, and then there's a massive falling off of cool with the rest of the band. But don't you think that if you were at a party in 1969 and you bumped into one of the doors... You might recognise one of them, Ray Manzera, whatever his name is, but you might... Ray Manzerak. Right, but I think you'd at least think you look a bit like a pop star, whereas with Texas and Coldplay... Yeah, you're obsessed with Texas and Coldplay, yeah. You'd sort of say, do you know which way the toilets are? I mean, you'd sort of just wouldn't... They would just look like... They wouldn't look like they were in a band. No, that's true. I mean, there are probably but, other examples. No, but I'm, I'm, you have talked about this before. I'm trying to get you oh, off right. that. Yeah, you've talked about how Texas are a good example of a band that you only recognise the lead singer and everyone right. else doesn't look like a pop star at all. We have discussed that. Okay. What I'm trying to talk about is whether there are other examples, apart from the Rolling Stones, of a band where there's an, a member of the band rather than okay. the front man who's sort of ACDC. Yes, that's a good one. Possibly Guns N' Roses. Madness? No. Madness, do you think? I'm just trying to think. They seem... seem Like who? Who are you talking about apart from Suggs? Chaz... Chaz... Smash. Chaz Smash. (laughs) So Happy Mondays. (laughs) Because Bess... Happy Mondays. Stone Stone Roses? Well, no, I wouldn't say... I mean, John Squires is a good guitarist, but I I would say you you know them because of Ian Brown. You know, you have a sense of them. Blur, possibly. Yeah. Oasis? And Oasis, yeah. So, yeah, well, Oasis are a very particular example, right? Oasis are unusual because, although I think he's actually a brilliant front man in a way, he's a brilliant singer, Liam, because Noel so decided, this is my band and I'm going to make that clear and I write all the songs, yeah. there's this weird status relationship with them whereby he feels secondary, Liam, even though he's obviously the front man. That is really unusual, I think. But I don't want, I know you want to get off Texas, I get that, but <laughs> if... You're in a band like Texas. Yeah. Do you think you really, really want to be in that band? And you've had to do everything that band you, know, you have to do to get into bands and sort of, you know, and be incredibly ambitious. And Or do you think they feel as sort of slightly neutral about it as we feel about them? You mean, are they bothered and resentful of Charlene Spitari? Not even that. Are they, well, a bit that, but do they feel it? Or are they just like, yeah, well, it just sort of happened, you know, like, because you'd think they'd look a bit more pop starry. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think the point about Texas is they could be called Charlene Spitari and her backing band. I mean, I don't, well, I don't know who writes the songs. Maybe there's someone in the band who writes the songs, but they could be. And I'm, you know, I think that's the deal, isn't it? Can you even get the first name, the given name of one of the members of Texas? So sure we've done something like this. <laughs> I don't think we have. I, well, I think what you did was you wanted me to name a band that was a band in which you only knew the lead singer and didn't know anyone. And uh, Oh, that's good. And You did it. We've done it. And, you know, shall we rename this podcast the Guest Things About Texas podcast? Um, well, no, I can't name anyone in Texas. I mean, I've got all the names here. That's amazing. Okay, Richard. 
No. John. No. Oh, yeah. Steve. Johnny. There is a John. Okay. Macalone. Yeah, I mean, they're Scottish. I know they're Scottish. Texas have sold a lot of records. Yeah. And Steve. I promise you. Steve. Okay. What? I'm naming the first name of the band, like you told me to. Oh, no. all right. Yeah. I'm going to give you three names. One of them's in Texas. Right. Okay. Okay. Ready? You have to think of some random names now. I know. And don't <laughs> let me repeat it because it'll be obvious. <laughs> um, all right. You ready? Yes. What a format this could be. Michael Hind. Yeah. James Payne. Michael yeah. Bannister. Michael Bannister is in Texas. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, it was really obvious you were making up the other two. Yeah, no, that's bad. <laughs> that is bad. It's just the way your face was. <laughs> it was really obvious. You were trying really hard not to look yeah. like you were making up the other two. That was bad. So we're gonna do yeah. it again. Yeah, I'm tempted to do it again. You know that people listen to this podcast. I mean, some people. Right. I'm gonna give you two names. <laughs> One of them's in Texas, one of them isn't. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Neil <laughs> Go. Neil McFarlane, Eddie yeah. Campbell. Oh no, fuck yeah, those two. Neil Eddie Campbell is in Texas. Is that your final answer? Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Do you know what that was? I thought we've had the conversation about Texas being Scottish. So Tim has chosen a Scottish name to try okay. and throw me off. Right. Can I say I've got two right so far? Okay, the final one. Here's, here's why you're right, though, by the way. Yeah. I can remember Eddie Campbell. I already can't remember any of the other names that, that we did of, of people who weren't or weren't in Texas. Do you think if you bumped into Charlene Spiteri yeah. and you said, I'm going to give you three seconds, name all the members of Texas, <laughs> he would be a bit stuck? I, I, I'm going to give you some names. Some of them are in Texas, <laughs> some of them aren't. I don't know if you're going to get them, Charlene. <laughs> you, not including you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be a good game, yeah. yeah. I have met Charlene Spiteri. It's Spiteri, isn't it? Yes, and her as well. Right. And uh, she was very nice. But I think she, if she ever hears this, she may, might be less nice because she might feel wounded on the part of her band members. Well, there's a lot of podcasts out there and it wouldn't harm us to get a little bit of publicity. So maybe... Yes, it, it has harmed us. <laughs> no, sorry. In the past, it's always harmed us. It might be good to get some publicity that doesn't harm us as well. <laughs> And would a spat with Spiteri? Yeah. The I don't think we'll have a spat with Spiteri. I think we'll have a spat with Eddie Campbell out of Texas. <laughs> I think Eddie... it would be good if a journalist rang you up and said, Eddie Campbell's really pissed off with you. And you said, who? <laughs> yeah. You must know. Ask Charlene Spiteri. <laughs> uh, look, I think we should stop now because I think we've probably On a few really, years. really yeah. rung this idea yeah. as dry yeah. as it could possibly be rung. Uh, what's the one song I only really know that one song by Texas uh, what is it oh you know the one I don't know what it's called um, I actually can't call it to mind oh you would know it if you heard it what's oh yeah it no I know they were big they're big I mean say what you want isn't it say yeah. what you want yeah yeah I don't really know any other song by them oh no I don't want a lover I know that as well um, okay so I think we should go out yeah on this song and I will try and name I mean, you could watch it as well. The other people in the video. At the moment, it's Charlene. Yeah. Is still just one? still just Charlene. Just it's Charlene's mouth. Charlene. Still no one. No, Eddie. Eddie's not in it. Still, it's just Charlene. 
I don't think there's anyone else in Texas, is there? <laughs> Literally no one else. What about Tony McGovern? Is he there? No. Tony? Tony, mate. Michael Bannister. <laughs> Michael Bannister. What about some of the people who aren't in, in it? <laughs> Ali McLean. Ali McLean. I, I actually think... I've never watched this with this thought that they aren't in this video. Oh. Oh, yeah, here they are. Okay. The guitarist has turned up, but he's so in the background. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it goes on, but I don't know the rest of the band ever turn up. Well, also, who would know if they had or hadn't? Well, no, I know they have because there are people holding instruments in the background who I assume are the band but uh, by the end I think no it's just I'll tell you what is particularly annoying for the band is that by the end of the video there's five or six images of Charlene there's five or six images where on the video the video yeah. which is a kind of slightly late 90s video yeah. or whatever it is she is reproduced like five or six times on screen so if I was in the band if I was Eddie Campbell I would have said, look, you've got like five images of Charlene on screen. It'd probably be easier, wouldn't it, to just put us yeah. in? Yeah, of course. But I've noticed that there's as many, almost as many past members of Texas as present members. Oh, please don't, please don't play a game where I have to name past <laughs> or present members of Texas. No, but I'm just sort of wondering if you could say to Charlene, like, I wonder if every time they said, I'm going to talk to you about Stuart Kerr. But firstly, is he joining or is he leaving? <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's a lot of members that I think in that idea that you met her and you have to name people who are in Texas, she possibly couldn't name everyone. Yeah, no, exactly. Maybe um, all the past members have gone to join the Baron Knights. <laughs> or you could say to her a name like Neil Payne. Yeah. Uh, and, oh no, but that's the same thing. <laughs> Anyway, it's been a lovely uh, conversation, Tim Hinks. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should say goodbye now because, you know, I like to think that we stretch our listeners, we engage them, we make them think like, can I listen to any more of this? Yeah. And I think we've really pushed that today. It, you know, and that's that's maybe a good thing. By the way, just in case they're wondering, next week yeah. we'll be joined by Tony McGovern yeah. and Richard Hind. Okay. Uh, well, what band are they in? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because one's in the band and one's a former member. Of what band? The Charlene Spiteri band. What, what are they called? I don't <laughs> can't remember, can't remember they, what they're called. Uh, anyway, bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 